Good day to you, brothers, sisters, friends, and new faces, and welcome to Current Events and Christian Expectations. And today in this podcast, we're going to be talking about compliance versus defiance. We'll start off with Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25. We'll have several other scriptures that we read in reference today, and we'll put those in the overview. But with the church compliant or the church defiant, let's just dig right in. Good evening, everybody out there in the podcast land. Yes, this is about COVID compliance versus church defiance. And what is the scripture going to use for that? Well, as Randy said, we'll start right off with this one. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Yes. Now, verse 24 is important. The writer says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us consider how we may spur one another, and this is from the ESV, toward love and good deeds. That cannot be done unless we get together. The only way to do verse 24, which is what we're told to do, is by way of assembling. And clearly, as you heard, some people were not doing that. They had the habit of not doing that. So what are we talking about? Here's a few quotes to start us off. This is from the Vigilant Fox on X. And for a while, I guess I have to say this, formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> from August 20th. Yeah, we have a podcast on that, too. Yeah, we have yeah, a podcast. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to go Should back it be and a Twitter it. quitter? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, should be uh, an Xer Nexer, I guess, now. Yeah. Um, from August 23rd of this year, uh, from the Vigilant Fox, uh, pharmaceutical companies like Pfizer, Moderna, and Novavax are planning to release new booster shots this fall. Uh, CBS, owned by Viacom, a company that profited massively during the pandemic lockdowns, is happily offering free advertising for these pharmaceutical giants. Then this from Reuters, uh, August 20th of this year. The Biden administration plans to urge all Americans to get a booster shot for the coronavirus this autumn to counter a new wave of infections, a White House official said on Sunday, end of quote. And as as of uh, September the 5th, the First Lady already has COVID. She's caught it, despite being vaccinated twice and having booster, booster, booster. This is from the War Room, August 22nd of this year by Natalie Winters. The federal government has started purchasing COVID-19 equipment and hiring advisors on safety protocols. Amidst speculation, the Biden White House will reinstate pandemic-era lockdowns and mandates. Well, on X, formerly known as Twitter, Kevin Sarbo, we all know Hercules, uh-huh. yeah, says he's not wearing a mask anymore, flat out. And Dr. Jordan Peterson, some of you out there may know him, he calls masking medical fascism. And a note of sanity, perhaps, in all this, Florida's Surgeon General Joseph uh, Ladapo warns against using masks and getting vaccinations. As of today, and that is today, 9-13, September 13th, uh, there have been multiple announcements now since I started this uh, podcast, uh, putting it on paper, as it were. 
been multiple announcements about the need for COVID shots, for masks, for boosters, yada, yada, yada. And as other, others have pointed out, if it's not COVID or mask, it'll be something else to serve as an excuse for government control. Climate change has been already put out there. Economy, of course, because it's not doing well, as we all know. Uh, and because we've already seen what Western governments will do when given the chance to exercise power. Getting into this, here is an excellent quote from C.S. Lewis. Of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. It would be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep, his cupidity at some point may be satiated, but those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. Well, that's a good assessment of the modern-day Pharisees mm. who rule over us. Yeah. We want to explore, then, the ways we can fail to assemble, especially as we see the day approaching, the day of the Lord. Uh, the rest of that quote from Hebrews 10 points out that failure to assemble when we ought will bring the judgment of God. So the last verse emphasized, don't uh, forsake the assembling as the uh, habit of some is, all the more as you see the day approaching. And then this in the following verses, 26 and 27. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. A lot there, but we want to focus just on this matter of the church failing to assemble. The failing to assemble is part of the larger context of apostasy from the faith addressed in this chapter of Hebrews 10, which again we can't go into detail, but just to know the background, these are Jewish Christians, that's why the book is called Hebrews, and that's been the take on this from the early church fathers to now. These Jewish Christians were being tempted to return to the synagogues and thereby avoid persecution that they were enduring as Christians. We will see this play out more specifically to help you understand this in the seven churches of Revelation in just a little bit. Uh, the writer of Hebrews points out that they have already shown they know their priorities, so they should endure until that day. Verses 32 through 36. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. All right. Uh, again, he says, remember way back some time ago, it might have been five, ten years, hard to tell. Uh, they had endured, one, a hard struggle, two, with sufferings, three. And what exactly was that? Publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, a lot of public verbal abuse. Uh, but they stood up with other Christians who were still being treated, and so they got double whammies there. Uh, some Christians were already in prison because of their faith in some way, 
Uh, and they had their own property plundered and taken away. And they were fine with that and rejoiced because they knew they had a better possession somewhere in the future out there with the Lord. Now, this probably reflects what was going on in 49 AD when Roman Emperor Claudius uh, expelled Jews from Rome. Originally, uh, later on, they came back. But the ones that had expelled, the Jews that were expelled, for the most part, appears to have been Christian Jews who were, of course, in the synagogue, but were holding on to the thing of Jesus, the truth of Jesus. And that became a sore point with the traditional Jews who didn't convert. And you see that if you read the book of Acts, you see that happening all the time. Yeah, when they, they come back, you know, the book of Romans is very clear about the church that was uh, was not the way that we left it. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, uh, yeah, and there were issues there that Paul had to address. Go back and read chapters 14 and 15 in, mm -hmm. in Romans. Um, so uh, Claudius had done that. Uh, the troublemakers were Jewish Christians. And, but to the Roman government, they just well, they were Jews who were causing trouble. You know, all right, get out of there. Uh, so they're expelled from Rome. In fact, we pick up on this in Acts 18, verses 1, 2, and 3, Randy. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. Right. And as far as we can tell, obviously, from the rest of Acts and uh, his what he says at the end of the book of Romans, chapter 16, uh, they were Christians. Mm -hmm. And they had church houses uh, in more than one place across the empire. So You also got free tent work done whenever you... <laughs> yeah. Yes, definitely. You want that... Uh, Free tent work. Well, and Paul, of course, uh, actually, he did that so he could preach freely. Right. And not charge people money. Right. So, um, and that became a problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, Christians were apparently readily found, and when refusing to um, recant their faith, uh, they got um, run out of Rome. It's interesting to know that that happened in 49 AD, so you move ahead to about one. 11 to 113 AD, and we have a record, this is, you can look it up on Wikipedia, uh, correspondence between a fellow named Pliny the Younger and the Emperor Trajan, and they were trying to figure out about the Christian movement and how serious was it, was it a problem, how to deal with it, and Pliny the Younger was going around the areas uh, where there were Christians and uh, finding out w what they were doing and pushing them to recant their faith, and if they didn't do that, they, they ended up being executed. So uh, the author now of Hebrews, this is interesting, around 65 AD, says that you have not yet resisted to the shedding of blood. So somewhere between 65 AD and 111 AD, persecutions went up. There was some blood. There was blood, yeah. right. So, uh, in fact, this is mentioned in Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted, 
in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Right. At the time that this book of Hebrews was written, around 65 A.D., uh, let's recall those previous verses, 32 through 36. What do their persecutions consist of? They ran the gamut from verbal abuse to economic losses of property, homes, houses, and that's because they got kicked out of Rome. And you know what happens when you leave a place like that under uh, legal force? Yeah. It probably gets taken over by somebody else. Yeah. And this is because they were Christian. Now, if they go back to their earlier Jewish life, they'll avoid all those problems, and they will be assembling, <laughs> but not around Jesus. Um, the writer here tells them to keep on enduring what for what they know they have a better life coming. Keep on enduring uh, because they know they have a better world coming. Do the will of God. Don't forsake the Christian assembly. Now, all of this relates back to verse 25. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as a habit of some is, but all the more as you see the day approaching. Just what are those things that would lead us to stop assembling? The author ends this chapter then with this exhortation, which actually alludes back to that passage we started the podcast off with. So, Randy, Hebrews 10, 37 through 39. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But by my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Right. So let me just do some um, little lining up of the previous passage that we started the podcast with, uh, with the one Randy just read. Uh, For yet a little while and the coming one will come. He will not delay. That's as you see the day approaching. Uh, My righteous one will live by faith. If he shrinks back, that lines up with forsakes the assembly and goes back to the old life. My soul has no pleasure in him. But he says, we are not of those who shrink back. And those we assemble around Jesus and are destroyed. But we have faith and preserve their souls. So here's the great question then to be asked. And I'll repeat it twice because this rest of the podcast flows out of this. How shall we know when exercising prudence temporarily becomes a habit we'll be judged for? Mm. How shall we know when exercising prudence, whether it's COVID or you name it, temporarily becomes a habit we will be judged for? Are we waiting for a return to normalcy? Or should we behave as those who've been called to suffer? Uh, Philippians 1.29, where Paul says to the Church of Philippi, it's been granted to you not only to believe in him, for his sake, but also to suffer for his sake. So we're going to do an overview, not again specifically in detail or thoroughly, but just as pertains to this podcast about assembling. An overview of the seven churches of Revelation, which are relevant for the times we live in, and see what we can glean uh, for help in understanding the question I just read and getting an answer. Uh, We're going to look at, starting with chapter 1, because that's where the churches are introduced, Jesus, if you recall, uh, has uh, seven stars walking in the midst of seven candlesticks, uh, menorahs, actually, and uh, the stars are angels, and menorahs are seven churches, and each church has an angel. So that's the situation. So let's listen to Revelation 1, 20, and then verse uh, 1 of chapter 2. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. 
To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. All right, Jesus is always walking among his churches. These seven churches represent churches throughout the Christian age of all kinds, and that's why they're, they're specifically chosen. We might ask, why didn't they do the church at Rome? Why, didn't, why isn't that included? Or why isn't Corinth included? Uh, or uh, other churches? It's these because they specifically represent sort of a universal aspect of problems with churches, and the word number seven throughout the Bible, and certainly in Revelation, means a completion of something, a complete thing that can be applied universally. It's a symbolic rep representation. It's a symbolic representation, exactly. Um, so the imperative of the day then, especially these days where we're in, is the repeated word at the end of each letter. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Each church must take what is said and see where they stand in relation to Christ, walking among them. And to make sure they're not heading where some of them already have gone. So listen to verses 2 through 7 addressed to the church in Ephesus. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, who I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. All right, so this letter, obviously, is specifically for the church at Ephesus, but all the others are supposed to be listening, so they won't end up doing what the church at Ephesus is doing. And we would never know from the way it starts out that it would end up with Jesus saying, I'm going to take away your candlestick, meaning you're going to cease to be a church. Uh, what have they been doing at Ephesus? Well, these apostles, they're false apostles. We'll see in a moment that they also showed up at Corinth. And uh, they have been sent. They're not the original 12. They don't pretend to be the original 12. But they've been sent by God, by Jesus, uh, to instruct the churches. And, of course, the things they have to instruct the churches with are perverted doctrine. So the church at Ephesus have tested these apostles and found out they were false. And they've done it patiently. And, and Jesus says, you've endured this, and you're bearing up for my namesake. You haven't grown weary. You're really doing a good work on this. But I have this against you. You left your first love, which is, of course, love for God. First commandment, right? Mm -hmm. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. That's not hard to figure out. Remember, then, where you have fallen, and repent, says Jesus, to the church at Ephesus. And do the work you did at first. If not, I'm going to come and remove your lampstand, your candlestick, your menorah, what makes you a church, a church, it's gone unless you repent. Um, and then, of course, the Spirit says to the churches, uh, listen to what we said to Ephesus and make sure that you, whatever you need in your church to do, uh, be sure you're doing the will of God. Well, these false apostles were known to the church of Corinth and were deceiving the church with their false doctrine, as if you go to 1 Corinthians 11, you'll see that. Uh, where Paul says, listen, these false apostles have come in and uh, they give you another Jesus, they give you another spirit, they give you a different gospel, and you just 
put up with it just fine. Uh, but who are these false apostles, really? Let's move on to 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 through 15. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. All right. Now, Satan is not mentioned in this letter to Ephesus. He's going to show up in some of the other letters here, though. But clearly, um, he's behind the false apostles there at Ephesus because, well, Ephesians 6.10, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but mm. uh, Satan and his evilness in the uh, invisible realm with all of his co-workers. And Satan is a major player throughout the book of Revelation. Satan's works are truly deceitful, for here he wins even if his workers are exposed. Since the church at Ephesus in pursuing this matter for which they are commended by Jesus for having done that, nonetheless have left their, left their first love, lost their love, the love of God, the greatest commandment. Uh, their worship assemblies were devoid of the love of God, uh, I guess true heart worship. Satan wins even when he loses with this kind of strategy. Working Corinth one way, they bought into the deceit, so he wins there. And Ephesus, they didn't buy into the deceit, but he got them to leave their first love. Uh, this is what deceit is all about. Hmm. It's relentless. They had forsaken assembling themselves to worship. They still assembled to worship God in love, but they still uh, they still assembled. But to what purpose? So Jesus says, repent, get back to your first love, or what you are as a church will cease to be, even if you keep on assembling. And unfortunately, I think there are churches today that are assembling, and they're in a position of where Ephesus would be if they didn't repent. So let's take a look at now at the church at Smyrna. This is interesting. Revelation 2, 8 through 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that you are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested and for ten days you shall have tribulation. But be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Things were heating up at Smyrna, and this letter that was written around 90 A.D., we do know about a generation later in Smyrna, around 156 to 160, uh, Polycarp. Uh, the last person we know who had a connection with the original apostles, and he was uh, connected to John, who wrote the Gospel of John, and apparently wrote this uh, script down for the book of Revelation. Uh, he was burned at the stake in Smyrna. So clearly persecution was continuing there sporadically somehow uh, for the next 50 years or so. So this test is for the whole church. We think, well, no, some of them are going to be thrown No. Some of them are, but listen to this. First, those thrown into prison will have tribulation for 10 days, meaning a short period of time of some kind. Uh, but who knows the outcome? So for those people, they need to be faithful to, and if necessary, even death. Be faithful up to, and even if necessary, death. Secondly, for those, let's say, for those of us, as if we're in the Church of Smyrna, who did not get thrown in prison, what's our test? Hmm. <laughs> 
Are we going to be faithful unto death? Are we going to continue to assemble? Are we going to say, well, we need to quit this for a while because I really don't want to go to jail. I don't want to be there. Um, so will they continue to assemble in defiance of the authorities already throwing some of their members in prison? Um, now here's what I'm talking about. We hear Jesus say this now. Well, we keep in mind, thing at Smyrna, what's going on there. What Jesus says to the church at Pergamon. This is Revelation chapter 2, verse 13. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you do not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Right, where Satan's throne is, meaning the local government, which was there at that time enforcing emperor worship, which is happening with a lot of these towns where these churches are located. You had to worship the, uh, the idol of uh, whoever the emperor was. And they were being forced as a church to, uh, to deny their faith, but they didn't, despite the clear intimidation factor present in the martyrdom of Antipas. Um, so think about it. You have someone in your church who is persecuted and then who is killed because of their Christian witness, and Sunday's around the corner. Mm -hmm. you know, what do you do? So think about that. Uh, keep in mind, though, even though they were still assembling, Jesus went on to condemn them. Oh, this is tough for tolerating idolatry and commanded them to repent, mm. even though they had a faithful martyr among them, Antipas. So listen to Revelation 2, 14 through 16. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans, Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. So the church in which Antipas had been martyred was uh, apparently indulging, at least some of them were, in the local idolatry there in Pergamon. And the point is that the whole church is called then to repentance, even if those who have been faithful nonetheless need to be uh, seeking God and saying, help us, Lord, and forgive us. Remember in Daniel chapter 9, when he did, the, did that great prayer of 70 years in captivity, he started off by saying, Lord, we have sinned, we have rebelled, mm. we have not done right. And Daniel included himself in that, though he was a righteous man. So the coming judgment, however, curiously, is aimed at the idolaters, where he says, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. But clearly, that is something no church wants to have happening to them. Satan is alive and killing the saints, this time a faithful witness called Antipas. Once the news of this came to the whole church, what was their reaction? Did they say, well, we need to stop assembling or we may be next? No, they didn't deny the faith. They held fast to the name of Jesus, uh, even though they still had some issues. I mean, this is, this is life. <laughs> That's mm. the way it is. Um, and even if the assembling meant they might be scattered abroad, that happened to the early Christians. Uh, for example, company. yeah, Acts eight chapter Acts chapter eight verse one is um, the uh, fallout from Stephen's persecution and execution, uh, first martyr in a sense, the first uh, maybe Christian martyr uh, in the church in the book of Acts for sure, and uh, then we go to Acts eight verse one and we have this written by Luke. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, 
and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Keep in mind, uh, these letters are sent to churches, not individually to individual members through the mail. Uh, Colossians 4.16, listen to this. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Right. Paul says to the church at Colossae, uh, when this has been read among you, meaning in the assembly, then have it also read in the church, literally means in the assembly of the Laodiceans. And you also read the letter from Laodicea. Which we, that letter's been lost, right? We don't have that. Yeah, we don't, we don't have the Paul's letter to Laodicea. We have Jesus, yeah. and we'll reference it a couple times maybe. Well, once here, um, as we shall see. The point I'm making is, uh, churches were assembling, even though persecution was going on. Keep that in mind. The seven churches of Revelation uh, are not only hearing about their church, but others and the issues of other churches as well. That's why each letter ends with the call to listen to the Spirit, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Now listen to this one in the Church of Philadelphia, Revelation 3, 7 through 11. And the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie, Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. So um, church at uh, Philadelphia is one of the two churches, along with Smyrna, Smyrna and Philadelphia, which get commendation, but absolutely no condemnation from um, Jesus. And both of them are suffering persecutions as they receive these letters. He says, you not denied my name, uh, even though there's been some issues there from the synagogue of Satan. I think it's important to note that all seven churches suffered persecution. Mm -hmm. So and it's persecution of some kind, yeah. Yeah, we need to... We need to know that today in our Christian walk mm -hmm. and with our Christian church that we're in good company when we have persecution and we not wallow in that. Yes, we need to keep that in mind. Yeah. So, um, so again, Satan is active in that, as you heard from the reading, and they're going to be uh, kept from the hour, the trial that's coming on the whole world, meaning they'll, Jesus will come back and catch all the saints up in the air when the wrath of God falls in upon the earth. Uh, and But nonetheless, this is not one of those things they can just lean back and say, okay, we've done our part. We don't need to worry anymore. He says, hold fast to what you have so no one may seize your crown. Mm. So they still have to endure. So here we have religious persecution going on in Philadelphia, uh, contrasted with the government persecution going on in Smyrna. Um, Jesus says, I got an open door before you that no one can shut uh, because their persecutors were trying trying to shut them up, right? I mean, it's, it's a metaphor, but it works. Um, 
and they have little power and strength because of, I'm sure, the economic measures that were being imposed on them. The Jewish people in these places, the synagogues were very influential in the marketplace. And um, so that's why when he says that they are, have little power or strength, that's a reference to their economic situation. And uh, the open door will be entered through at some point by the persecutors to acknowledge that Jesus has loved them, as you heard Randy read. Uh, so, and then the open door will be their escape from the coming trial, that is the wrath that's going to come upon earth, uh, as we see in 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 through 10. For they themselves report concerning us this kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Right, waiting for Jesus to deliver us from the wrath to come, and that's what he talks about in Thessalonians chapter 4. Jesus uh, comes back, and the saints come up in the air, and the wrath of God comes down. And, of course, the book of Revelation deals extensively with that. So the churches of Revelation, one way or the other, are all under assault from Satan uh, through local government, economy, the enforcers of religious idolatry, such as the local synagogues and government for emperor worship. Um, a good question to ask here is, how can we know whether a request by the government to stop assembling is legitimate or not? Well, as we've seen, it can't be because we're getting persecuted. But as churches, we need to pray, discuss, and at least have in mind some direction to go when the pressure begins, begins to come upon us. Uh, for example, we're going to assemble, but we'll have to do it in smaller groups. Remember, the early church didn't have buildings. Mm -hmm. uh, they went from house to house. And it was we, a simpler time. It was a simpler time, and we may be reduced to simpler times. Keep in mind also, situations vary from place to place, from Nashville to Atlanta to Los Angeles to Cincinnati. Uh, things will be different, as we've seen the kinds of differences reflected in the churches. These things must be spiritually discerned. For example, Laodicea, uh, church that in terms of active persecution that wasn't happening, of course, Satan had got them to rely on their economic wealth, mm -hmm. and that's another deceit of Satan. And again, it's a kind of persecution. They're so deceitful, they're not even aware of it. But anyway, they may keep on assembling, even though Christ isn't about ready to spit you out of, my, out of my mouth. So, And Philadelphia will keep on assembling because Jesus has given them an open door. But the Spirit says that to all the churches, so we all can have that open door. Um, so Ephesus and Laodicea are the churches about to re be rejected by Christ, even though they are assembling. Keep that in mind. Smyrna and Philadelphia are undergoing active persecution, uh, people in jail, people getting killed through uh, legal and religious means, and yet they're still assembling, while Pergamon, Thyatira, and Sardis are a mixed bag. Uh, note that in Pergamon, where Antipas was martyred, the church is faithful, yet it, it was tolerating idolatry and immorality and was told to repent. Uh, Jesus sees everything. Huh? Uh, Thyatira has a Jezebel. Listen to this, Revelation 2, verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Right, so that was the issue going on there. And again, you know Satan's behind that as well. And then Sardis is on the verge of dying, Revelation 3, verses 1 and 2. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, 
I know your works. You have the rep reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. So those are withering words to seven churches from the Lord Jesus. Here, though, is our main problem, believing it cannot ha happen here. Failure to prepare clearly illustrates this. Hear what Peter says to the churches he's writing to who are starting to undergo this kind of persecution. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you are you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Fiery trial, starting with insults and getting worse. And he starts by saying, don't be surprised at this. So if suddenly we say, hey, what's happening? Or how is this possible? We've been taken by surprise. We're not supposed to be surprised. With all the scriptures about suffering, uh, I'm amazed that there hasn't been an alarm sounded throughout churches in this culture to do some kind of preparation. We need a wake-up call, mm. like Sardis. Wake up, you're about to die. Currently in this culture, such persecution is mostly verbal slander and economic hardship, such as those cases involving Christians refusing to bake cakes that display approvals of the uh, LGBTQ plus movement, uh, those refusing to marry gay couples, those who work as photographers uh, for refusing to take pictures at a gay wedding. And Satan, as we know, is always behind the scenes in our everyday lives, stirring up something. Believe it or not, it's happening. And there's ample evidence it's not going to go away. How do we know this? We know this because we've been called to fight the battle, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rule, rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul says we got to fight this spiritual battle. It's not flesh and blood because Satan is behind it, and he's always scheming to do this, as we've seen in this podcast. As Revelation twelve seventeen states, his goal is being accomplished, making war on Christians to destroy them. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. And that's Revelation 12, the very next one. Revelation 13 is the beast comes out of the sea. The mark goes on people. And if you want to buy or sell or be involved in the economy and culture, you got to have the mark. And if not, you're going to be killed. So, that's the way it's going to go. Peter reminds us of our calling as Christians in this passage from 1 Peter 2, 19 through 21, about what we're called to. For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure it? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. 
because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Our calling involves suffering, a suffering that, as we've already seen with the seven churches, uh, can go from jail time to martyr time pretty fast. Mm -hmm. Um, as the Lord's churches, we need to be prepared to respond according to the will of God. And we have used this passage uh, several times, I think, in, over the last uh, three years in these podcasts, but it's because it's so applicable. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Yes, and when he says, uh, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, that means it's your spiritual worship when you come together in the assembly. That you may be testing, that you may by testing, discern what is the will of God, and that's involved in assembling, obviously, what's good, acceptable, and perfect. Uh, the promise is that in testing to know the will of God, we will discern his will, what it is, and find it good. It would be good for the church, although some among us may not agree. That's we got to keep that in mind. Acceptable, meaning not just to us, but to God. And perfect, meaning whatever it is, even if we don't like it, it's God's plan for us when we've discerned it. Uh, the goal is to be faithful. Then we will be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks us why we have the hope we do in Jesus, as we find in 1 Peter chapter 3. And that's the Christian expectation. Well, thanks, Jim. You've given us a lot to think about, and there might be questions and comments about it. To that end, if you have questions or comments, please email us at eventsandexpectations at gmail.com or Leave a comment in one of the various podcast posts on the various platforms. We will read your question on air where possible, and we will always answer you. This has been Current Events and Christian Expectations, and until next time, keep looking up. <laughs>